Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And I was looking back because a friend of mine, a colleague of mine who just started his podcast was giving me a hard time, uh, John Eckert. And you can hear it on his podcast, but then also the Future Ready podcast we did. And I'm coming up on five years. So this will be kind of the fifth year anniversary of this podcast. And the great part about this is I'm with a new colleague of mine at Baylor University, Dr. Bill Starrett. And he serves as department chair and professor of educational leadership in the School of Education. And before joining Baylor this past year, he was associate dean and professor at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington. And then prior to that, he was a principal and teacher in Charlottesville, Virginia. So you've been in Virginia, you've been in North Carolina, now Texas. I'm not going to ask you to compare them, Bill, but thanks for being with us. But really where I wanted to dive deep is when you started to share some of the work that you've done over the last number of years, something that really caught my attention. And then like a week later, I happened to be in a school that had green ribbon school designation. So tell me a little bit more about how you got involved in the green ribbon school program and why that mattered to you and why it matters to you today. That's a great question, Eric, and thank you again for having me. You know, when I think about my role as a middle school science teacher or as a principal, uh, our work involves how can we uh, work together to, to engage students. So our work involves the work of faculty, of staff, of finding ways to ensure that students can succeed. So I think of this through the lens of student engagement and success. And I never had to write a discipline referral as a middle school science teacher whenever we were going through a cave system in Kentucky or when we were outdoors in Charlottesville, Virginia, on a soccer field, measuring the distance of what a Jovian or a terrestrial planet uh, was away from the earth. This was an opportunity where I thought as an educational leader, how can I as a principal work with faculty to um, look at outdoors learning? to encourage getting outside and fresh air. You know, the best learning doesn't have to happen under fluorescent lights within four walls. And we, you know, I came of age as a principal during the era of accountability when schools were defined, were labeled based on a one-day test, a bubble test, high-stakes assessment. Um, and I believe that schools can be defined in terms of success beyond a test score, right? Um, and I started looking at how, as a principal, I could build on the work of authors such as Richard Louvre, who wrote Last Child in the Woods, um, and later The Nature Principle. I started thinking about our own setting in the middle of Virginia, and just the beauty of living in God's creation, and how could we sort of maximize experiences for students. As principal, I tried to always have a, a field trip where we went through the Luray Caverns, and I would plan this school-wide field trip that usually went over several days, and we would go to outdoor places and to be able to experience and, and talk about what is a um, stalactite and a stalagmite. Well, we found that a lot of our teachers hadn't experienced some of these aspects as well. Um, so, as I moved from being a principal to a professor, started studying, you know, this from a research lens uh, and um, just started understanding that in 2012, the U.S. Department of Education started recognizing schools 
and they call them Green Ribbon Schools. So it's a U.S. Department of Education Green Ribbon School. So EDGRS is the acronym that I'll, I'll mention from time to time. And as I study these EDGRS schools, you realize that they are a mix of um, private, of charter, of public schools, schools and districts. And then later, they started recognizing universities who are doing phenomenal things in three areas, health and wellness, STEM and outdoors education, and then stewardship of resources. How can we make the best, whether it's a uh, student-led recycling effort or catching uh, rain through rain barrels that are going to water our learning gardens, some really innovative practices. So I started looking at this both from a practitioner perspective and a researcher, and I realized, Eric, that this needs to be shared more. We need to brainstorm um, how we can do this in our setting, whether we are in Texas or North Carolina or Virginia, and learn from those who have done this. And I, and I think to the work you recently um, did with Lynn and John and, and uh, Matthew in terms of future ready. And as I began reading through that, the notion of innovation and sustainability is just woven throughout your book and concepts like involving partners and sharing innovation. I think that really speaks to the work of what, if you go in any green school, you're gonna see that common thread, again, of innovation sustainability. Well, and Bill, thank you for, for that plug. I love it. Cause, cause yeah. that's, I think that's why this makes this conversation so much fun for me because, you know, I think there is that, that fun place where I do get to be in the place where I see a lot of educators who, you know, are, are pushing for better or for different, or, you know, in very much of that same place of what we, what you and I inherited as we came, you know, of, of age in our own leadership in schools during that accountability era, now what what do we kind of leave even behind for us, you know, and for the next generation of, of leaders? I'm really interested in kind of the dual kind of nature of this is for these, these green ribbon schools, like how much of it is changing the built environment or adjusting the built environment? Because sometimes we have very little control over that, uh, depending on the district we're in, the school we're in. The, the community in, but how do we, how do you encourage people to think about the built environment as well as then using the school as kind of a springboard out into the, the, the larger world environment? Well, I think that's a great question because a lot of times you'll look at schools such as um, the one I visited in Cortez, Colorado, where the superintendent there, Alex, he walked me through the school and he um, said, you know, we had the ability to design from ground up. This is Alex Carter in Cortez, Colorado. What a green school, a high school, a modern high school is going to look like where he had a teacher lounge. If you can imagine this on the second floor overlooking the uh, Mesa Verde Mountains, um, the national parks, so just incredible views that his teachers are going to benefit from. Imagine having that as your as the backdrop. But then I visited schools that are, are more um, bound by their geography, if you will, schools that are already established, such as um, in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, the Explorers School. They have um, very little green space. They have, uh, they're in the middle of, you know, downtown Raleigh, and yet it's phenomenal. You go, they have rooftop gardens where they have put in garden boxes 
uh, and they have established an interconnected curriculum to really have both a global and a STEM emphasis in an urban setting. So it's really cool to see how teacher leaders, in this case, it was Shannon Hardy and, and Laura Lout, designed these um, learned experiences through um, making the most of the setting in which they are in. I visited a school in Nashville, um, a Christian school called Lipscomb Academy, and a pre-K um, and kindergarten teacher named Ginger Reasonover, she provided outdoor garden plots where each student had a square foot, one foot by one foot garden plot to grow things like kale and lettuce and to be able to see the connection between farm to table. So they're able to actually have that experience and cultivate um, through the principle of stewardship. And again, it didn't take a whole lot of land. It took the, the small garden areas that they had. So I think um, going back to your question of considering space and considering resources too, I've seen a common thread of, um, again, getting back to innovation and sustainability. And by the way, that was not a paid plug. I think it's a great book. And uh, I was happy to pick up a copy and, and just see a lot of connections to green schools because you have to think through the lens of innovation in many cases, um, because oftentimes we tend to lead and learn in the ways um, and it's through the nature in which we have been taught, right? So that's why we have desks and rows. And that's why we have four walls in a classroom and maybe a window. But when you think about sort of expanding that notion of what a learning space really is, I think you can get creative. Um, Jeremy McDevitt's a principal up in Kinson uh, High School in the Chagrin Falls, Ohio, right off of Lake Erie, where he worked with a local university, he and a superintendent, to secure wind turbines. So they have these large windmills through a grant that captures about 80% of the high school's power. So these wind turbines provide cost savings that he's able to take those funds and consider other, other you know, ways of diverting those funds too. And they have outdoor nature trails. When I was a principal in Charlottesville, Virginia, um, we'd had what a lot of schools have, and that's just a, an outdoor area, a lot of grass. And we had students there that would walk to school. And, and we know that in Central Virginia, you get a lot of dew and depending on the season, rain. So it can be, you know, muddy and not always pleasant just to walk through. So our local, um, one of our local celebrities there, the Dave Matthews Band, they had a grants program called the Bama Grants. And we applied for it and we got a grant to be able to build just a stone dust nature trail around the perimeter of that outdoors um, elementary school in Charlottesville. And what that did is it increased walkability. It also increased learning experiences for students to be able to go outdoors and for teachers to teach about the dichotomous key through looking at different flora and fauna, right? They're outside, right there in our backyard. But again, we had to sort of be creative about maximizing the space. So I think if we think of this through, um, again, learning from those, learning from these examples, that's what excites me about doing this research is because you can then apply it to what school leaders can do that'll ultimately impact both students and staff uh, in their schools. Well, and it, there's so many different directions I could go um, with, with what you just said. And those examples are incredible because they're so broad and varied, right? You know, it is that sense of, 
you know, um, starting and building a new facility, or it's, you know, that place where you're saying, hey, you know, there's a teacher who has an idea who wants to create, or, you know, there's a grant in our community that we can go after. So there's the places of, you know, kind of the big innovation of we've, we've got an opportunity to start from, from, you know, nothing and really recreate something new, or we take what we have and we just incubate it. So I'm wondering, like, if I'm if I'm a, a principal of a school and I'm saying, hey, you know what, I, I want my school to kind of drive down this. I care about the environmental sustainability. I care about the green ribbon nature of, of what's embedded in this. But I also want to infuse what we're doing in the learning community with greater life. Right. Mm -hmm. And and what's not only happening within the four walls, but what's happening beyond that. And what especially I think some of the things that you even hint at are the well-being issues that coming off of the pandemic are so significant to, you know, the well-being of teachers, of educators, but then also significantly of those students. And so what would be as you look at some of the green ribbon schools that you've been a part of? And if you were a principal now, like what would be a couple steps or where would you start to say, Hey, you know what? We want to go, we don't want to just incubate change. We want to go all in. Yeah. Great question. Because I think action steps are important and one person cannot do this work alone. My first step is to form a green team. Uh, a lot of schools have a mandated school improvement team. Perhaps this could be a, a um, either part of that whole committee or a subcommittee of that too. But if you involve teachers, administrators, custodians, parents, students, community members, uh, you can form a, a really diverse team that thinks differently from the way that one leader might. You know, you're going to bring ideas, you're going to bring energy, you're going to bring resources and effort to the process, too. And really start looking through these three pillars. Look at the different examples. I've posted a few research articles to maybe help you get started and learning from other schools and districts. We don't have to recreate this from scratch too, but uh, sort of taking both leadership and multiple voices from staff, students, parents, stakeholders, that can really help you start to think through health and wellness opportunities, STEM and outdoors education, civic pathways, right? And then stewardship. So the second piece, I would say, really look at your energy savings. If you start being uh, thoughtful about just the way that you can um, employ energy conservation through anything from installing motion sensors in, in to classrooms to uh, we looked at a, um, a, a school district in California, the uh, superintendent there was able to convert shipping containers that were coming from the West Coast uh, ports into classrooms too. So that really sort of upgrading this notion of a instructional learning cottage or a trailer, but being able to really look at both power consumption and cost uh, to, to maximize some really cool learning spaces um, as well. Um, I would say do it, do an, a third step would be to do an outdoors um, walk, right? So maybe have a faculty meeting outside where you simply walk the grounds and talk about opportunities to improve this, um, whether it's uh, an initial landscaping facelift, such as bringing in mulch and revitalizing the front entrance way, to doing a deeper dive, to looking at um, you know, having 
uh, a, a learning garden box for each grade levels. I've seen some schools do where they have either a different um, theme from a different um, country or continent or to be able to focus on a different time period and to be able to tell a story through increased engagement and student pride in that effort um, as well, too. Uh, look at, you and I both mentioned grant ideas. There are a lot of funding resources that would be willing to put in a nature trail or to be able to weigh in on some some landscaping efforts to, to revitalize this. Um, and also look at the curriculum alignment. Um, at Prairie Crossing Charter School up in Illinois, um, they're able to sort of look at their curriculum and how it integrates within all aspects of teaching and learning, uh, being grounded in outdoors education and nature learning too. Um, so again, look at how other schools have sort of had this common thread of sustainability throughout their curriculum too. Uh, and then share out the message. Oftentimes we celebrate things like the test scores. Why not celebrate the amount of steps that we have um, collectively uh, accrued as a class um, or to be able to uh, share some, um, some finished products that come from our learning garden uh, to be able to, to, to celebrate uh, you know, having a waste-free Friday lunch and what that means, um, starting a composting area. Uh, really the possibilities are endless. Uh, I, I would say, you know, it can be very um, invigorating to revitalize your notion of what teaching and learning is by visiting, by researching these green schools. And uh, again, I feel like my research this last decade has really, um, for me, benefited both the practitioner standpoint and then also the body of research on uh, what does it mean to be a sustainable green school? I, it, it's so incredible too. And I, I love, I, I mean, usually I have, I ask people for examples and you, you've got so many examples in there that if, if maybe I'll see if I can figure out where all the links are and tie them into the podcast, because that's oftentimes the place like, okay, where could I go visit or who's doing it or where could I maybe go get an idea or, you know, those discoveries. I had an opportunity to spend a little bit of time in, in Europe this past summer and visited a few schools and, you know, schools that have gone to, you know, zero waste, you know, and zero carbon and, you know, all these types of things and, and how it's something that it has become not just oftentimes led by a, by a leader or like that green team by a small group, but it is definitely a reflection of community values and then, then also watching in a lot of ways how it, it ties the school instead of a place away from the community, a place that's part of and integrated into the community. And I love how you tie in even the, you know, kind of the, the curriculum and the learning. And maybe that's the, the last question I, I just want to sit on a little bit, because a lot of times we think about in education is like, okay, we've got, we've, we, we, We've, we've got to do this teaching and learning thing with all these standards so we can prep for whatever, you know, the student outcomes that we're looking for. How do we look at even some of this green ribbon school stuff? These, these how, how, do we look at it as added outcomes or just supportive conditions to the outcomes we're hoping for? And how do you help teachers who say, I've got enough to do I, you know, principles where it's like, I can't imagine doing one more initiative or having one more committee. 
how, how do you, how do you help people think through this as an integrated, cohesive part of who they are as a learning community? I think anytime you have a particular grade level or subject area, you have an established curriculum too. So I think I would just encourage um, the teachers, the leaders to look through that lens that they're teaching any sort of concept related um, to the STEM areas, to outdoors education, uh, a lot of historical aspects to really think through this through a sustainability lens. And a lot of times it takes um, bringing in volunteers who are willing to help with things like the learning boxes, um, the learning gardens, and, and be able to shape the, the boxes to create that space. I've seen assistant principals who uh, are willing to uh, sort of walk into a classroom and to be able to, to co-teach a section on sort of green um, green learning principles to be able to start uh, planting, uh, to be able to give students kits to start some of that work at home. Uh, I, I think that if you are willing to do things a little differently, to be able to, again, learn from um, others who have done that work before and again, be willing to get outside. Um, mm -hmm. because that means stepping outside our comfort zone, whether it's thinking about that rooftop garden or being willing to go out in the soccer field and for principals to be able to support this work, whether it is saying, hey, I'm encouraging you. If I see you going outside, it doesn't have to be during your structured recess period or a principal being willing to say, I'm going to take it upon myself to plan and provide a school-wide field trip in which all 400 of us are going to go and have that shared experience over, you know, three days, two grade levels a day, however you want to do it. But it, it takes a shared commitment, too. And I think the part that a lot of teachers sometimes don't feel ready for, and this is where leadership comes in, is thinking through small grant efforts or external development, as we call it, to be able to um, leverage opportunities to get started, too. I always say, uh, going back to your question, start small. Be willing to start with one lesson or one unit of study if you're thinking about curricular innovation too, but realize those quick wins in starting to green the school, whether it's cleaning and replanting a, a learning garden area or working with volunteers to uh, organize a recycling program and clean up litter, uh, promoting a um, a turn it off power savings campaign or, uh, you know, reaching out to local farmers to use their locally grown uh, produce in the cafeteria setting, too. So, you know, realizing those small and visible successes, and I've written about this in, in research that I'll share with you to, to link to, can really be inspirational. And what that does is that builds momentum to uh, identify more in-depth, more long-term planning efforts. I love it because because part of too what we're teaching is you know in that process is for students to live within their community and live live by building up and and caring for their community too at the same time and right so this this idea of whether you would consider creation care community care you know kind of the environmental sustainability it begins to allow students to participate in that bigger picture too. Absolutely. And and students feel involved and in, in they will share a love of place. 
and they'll start taking pride in this. Uh, for I mentioned earlier, student-led recycling efforts, when students are able to lead and engage efforts like that or the composting effort or to um, you know the, the, the learning garden or a uh, robotics team, all of that eventually is going to, again, bolster their engagement, bolster their success, and it gets back to helping define the success of the school. Bill, this is so great. I'll I'll make sure that we share a bunch of links with everybody and then ways for them to get connected to you. But is there a place where you would say, hey, go here to get started if you want to learn more? Absolutely. I'm going to share a link to my Baylor webpage. And, and there I have a lot of research, especially about green schools there, right under research interest. And from there, you'll see a local uh, study that I didn't even have time to talk about, where in North Carolina, we partnered with two very different schools and a university to pursue the EDGRS designation, as well as some of the uh, reference, uh, the, the research articles that I referenced here in our discussion today, Eric. So, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out and email me here um, at Baylor, or um, I'm on Twitter, Bill Starrett, and I'm always looking to learn and to uh find new examples and to share them out. So uh, I look forward to the shared conversation. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Eric. Appreciate it.